Welcome to the Comparing Notes podcast, where three generations of pastors compare notes on life and ministry. And today, as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Andy and Glenn. And as all of our podcasts do, we start out with a generational question. The question for uh, our episode today has to do with documentaries. I recently watched a documentary on the Three Mile Island, and as I finished it up, my parents then walked in the room. Um, they showed up at the house kind of unexpectedly. And they they explained, oh, wow, I lived through that. I lived about 100 miles from that. I remember that vividly. So the question is for you, gentlemen, what documentaries have they recently made or books or historical um, uh, explorations have they given on subjects or on events that you guys lived through that when you then read it, watch it, observe it, you can think back and say, I, I have personal information about it. Is that a well, broad enough subject to entitle movies or books or wherever you guys well, want to take it? I'm the older generation, so I've lived through the 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 largest number of these situations. But but last night in uh, in looking to uh, to see what do I want to watch tonight, um, I didn't watch it, but I saw the uh, I saw the documentary um, uh, there on the screen, which is all the president's men going back to Woodward Woodward and Bernstein. And uh, and the Nixon uh, Watergate uh, issues, and that's the, when I was uh, uh, in my late teens when that took place, and that's when I first really was emerging into this awareness beyond my my own local community and that particular issue. So just seeing that, uh, uh, just seeing that that documentary or that movie go before my uh, go before my eyes took me back there. And uh, and kind of my my growing up into adulthood and the uh, uh, yeah the real life nature of uh, of life outside of my of my little community. Well, I, I can think of uh, a couple movies that we went recently as a family talking about older movies that uh, some of my kids hadn't seen and we were um, I'm thinking about and uh, so two movies actually come to mind. Uh, we watched uh, Remember the Titans uh, not too long ago, and uh, it, it said in 1972. I was born in 73, and so we were we were thinking about you know all of the different things that weren't we saw experience, but just to think about the the political and the socioeconomic and racial situation that was happening just two years before we were born was pretty wild, um, and to kind of talk to that. Uh, talk about that with our kids a little bit. Um, but then we also watched uh, Back to the Future, which is obviously set in that it begins in the 80s. And uh, there's a whole joke in there about uh, Marty's wearing the puffy jacket. And they keep asking him when he goes back to the 50s why he's wearing a life preserver. <laughs> and uh, I, I can vividly remember like, you know, those puffy kind of jackets, which have kind of come back around at some points. Um, but, uh, but just thinking about some of those different stylistic uh, things has been pretty funny. Well, I guess I, I gave kind of my answer, though. It was my parents' answer with watching the Three Mile Island documentary. Um, but one of the other movies that, um, I don't know, recently popped up in the in the recommended list I had seen it many times was Black Hawk Down, which was, um, it took place in the early 90s, so it was alive. But um, it was one of those things that I learned about as kind of a military uh, nut as a, as a teenager so that I learned about. And then finally, when I realized there was a movie, um, Obviously, Hollywood, I'm sure, over-dramatized it at times, but it was fascinating to see the movie 
having known about all of the events that were taking place there. So, yeah. Okay. Well, our subject for the podcast for today has to do with scandals, scandals in the church. I think the hardest part of being a pastor is that we have to recognize that pastors are sinners like everyone else. And if there's one thing that I wish that we could take out of the church, it, it is sin. But if we took sin out of the church, we'd have to take everyone out of the church, which is what makes me just look forward to heaven where the church will be sinless. But we have seen um, a just unfortunate amount of scandals come up in the church as of late in the last several years, in the last half a decade. I, I, like I'm just thinking of the of Mark Driscoll and the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Recently, the SBC sex scandal. There's the Hillsong stuff that's all going around there with various churches pulling out of that network. Um, even, you know, this is further back, but thinking of Tully and Chavidjan. And if you notice, all of these um, are at least outside of our context, our, the uh, three of our context, and yet it still affects us because it affects the church at large. And so the discussion that we want to have today is how do the scandals in larger evangelicalism affect the local church? And then in particular, how as pastors in ordinary local church settings, how should we respond to those scandals in um, larger evangelicalism? So uh, first, kind of uh, just a general question, I'd love to hear your thoughts on um, kind of what, what you have seen within larger evangelicalism and these scandals, kind of what is your knee-jerk reaction or what's your first reaction to seeing so many stories of individuals that have um, large platforms for Christ, clearly the Lord is used in many ways, then we kind of see the other side of the coin and see the, the, the dark side um, of their sin. Kind of what are your uh, immediate reactions to all of these stories? Well, I, I think for me, one of the things uh, I'd be interested to, to know, and I don't know there's a way to track this, but if there's more scandals today than there was in the past, or there's just a greater um, exposure um, due to the nature of of living in an internet age where we're able to get information immediately, um, and the fact that there's many people uh, that in previous generations would be uh, local or regional in their influence, but now are much larger um, in their influence. And so uh, when something happens or something happens within their ministry, uh, it, it it makes a much greater wave. Um, but But it seems like there's at least some element of this where because we have uh, exposure on a greater scale, more things are being seen or more things are, are coming to light. Um, and I think in some ways that's good. That's very good. Um, but I do think also it kind of snowballs that you have even at this point investigative reporters that their major focus is, uh, is the church um, almost to go out and to find uh, difficulties or to find things. And so uh, I, I wonder at times if if that exposure is a is a good thing in terms of personal um, personal devotion personal uh, people thinking about it yeah I, I appreciate the way you, you set that up there Andy and in that um, you can't get away from the conversation uh, in in our in our world any longer go to any congregation at least I go to to uh, any congregation, and one of those scandals is going to come about or be brought up in a conversation piece, and maybe because my position at a at a, at a district and, and national level level within our denomination, but uh, you know people are concerned about uh, how is this you know are our churches 
engaged in this kind of thing? Uh, how can we guard ourselves against uh, uh, these kinds of scandals? And so it becomes that that regular that regular conversation piece. And uh, and I guess I'm glad that it is a scandal because a scandal, by definition, is uh, is a public outcry where they see something morally wrong, and uh, and they just they just know it's wrong. And so when you see a pastor or a or a spiritual leader uh, get caught up in some sin, and uh, it should be called out and it should be seen as an outrage. And uh, so I'm glad that that there is that outrage on the one hand. The challenge, I think, that goes back with the, with the greater exposure that you mentioned, Andy, though, is that it can be, then be projected. The more you hear this, the more it gets projected on all of us. So all of us pastors are, are this, or all of us denominational leaders uh, are like this, or we're seen in that light. And so that's, a, uh, that's something that I'm trying to, to bring some, uh, some balance to uh, and uh, yeah, some reality into. So how can we as pastors receive the appropriate criticism of we see these other pastors falling into sin and um, discover that they've been living duplicitous lives? We, how can we receive that criticism and yet appropriately um, hold on to the truth of Scripture and hold on to the establishment of the church and not push them away? And I ask that question because one of the things that I have seen is that so many individuals who are either um, unchurched or dechurched are using these fallen pastors, these scandals, to point to the church and, and say, "See, this is why we shouldn't trust them. This is why it's a broken system that needs to that we should reject. This is why there is no God." And and so we're we're forced, as you said, Glenn, to step into a space and defend something that is broken at times, or is always broken because we're always sinners. But how how can we best defend um, the gospel, the Bible, the church, and also recognize, yes, there are broken sinners among us? I mean, I feel like at at some level we have to grieve sin. I mean, we we have to acknowledge and almost even loudly acknowledge that we live in a fallen world, which includes the, the leaders and the pastors among us. Um, we, you know, while we have been called to holiness and while we've been called to um, communicate the gospel, we are not beyond the sin that, that permeates this world. And uh, I think we would be uh, remiss if we just kind of either A, ignore the scandals and just say, well, you know, that's, that's out there without looking looking at ourselves but then also grieving the the wreckage that has happened um i think sometimes we've tried to just ignore it thinking that it'll just go away or it's it's distant enough from us and we're not willing to grieve um i don't know always know how best to to demonstrate that or to show that um i i'd, I'd be curious to know how you guys might think what that looks like um but yeah, I think it starts there. I agree. I think we lead with that acknowledgement and that and that grieving, um, but then follow it up with, uh, and let's break it down to you know what are we doing to make sure that we don't fall into that in that particular sin or that particular uh, that particular path, and uh, and in, again in, in my position, uh, coming alongside pastors on a regular basis is uh, not assuming that we're all doing great 
and that we're all doing doing our business the way we should, but saying, you know, how, how is your walk with the Lord? What are you doing to uh, to stay in touch with others and not get isolated or, or caught up in, in one thing or another? Uh, so, you know, we need to, to encourage, we need to let the people know that we acknowledge that all of us are susceptible, as you've mentioned, guys, um, but that uh, we're trying to, to bring in different, uh, uh, different guards uh, to our own lives uh, to make sure that we don't, don't go that way. That is such a fine balance between grieving with those who are hurting and yet applying appropriate accountability to those who have done the wrong. And if there is one thing that I that can be seen with the scandals that have come up as of late, it's either been too much empathy and a lack of accountability, or I would say not enough empathy and and not too much accountability, but but not enough empathy. And it is a we act just like the culture where it's this cancel culture. Once you once you mess up, you're gone. And that line between um, grace and truth, grace and accountability, grace and law, whatever you want to do, is is such a fine line that if we if we if we take our eye off of walking well in that, we can so easily slip into one side or the other and create either the the scandal that we have seen or just create the vicious system that I I that we can see in other churches where you you can't admit that that you're weak, which I think is. One of the reasons why we've seen so many scandals as of late is because the the church has almost lost its place where a pastor who is a sinner, a fellow uh, you know, sheep looking to Christ like everyone else can can raise their hand and say, Hello, I'm over here. I can't believe that I've fallen into this sin or done this thing that I've that I never thought I would do, but I need help. We haven't created a space for them to say when it's early on. Mm-hmm. Hey, I got to press pause here so that it, it it leads them into a greater struggle until they finally fall. I don't know that we have a good theology or a good understanding too of restoration. Uh, I hmm. feel like in a lot of these cases, what's tended to happen is somebody, especially with larger platforms, um, they're they're there. Things happen. Things may or may not get investigated well, and then it's. Basically, how quickly can we restore somebody back into ministry or put them in a position or, you know, get them on on some road? And I, I, I just not sure, you know, I, where my background that I come from is basically it's a one strike and you're out policy is you do one thing wrong and you're out of ministry forever and ever and you never come back. Um, and I think that promotes what you're talking about, Ryan, where nobody wants to say that they're having a problem. But on the opposite side of that, I'm not sure that we really understand how to restore somebody. Um, I'll just give an example. We, we had a worship leader that um, fell into moral failure here in the church, and uh, he, was, he was removed. It was a scandal. It was about seven, eight years ago. And just this last Sunday, we, we prayed for him in front of the church kind of as a prayer of restoration. Um, he's gone through extensive counseling. There's been, you know, there's scars in his family. There's still things going on, but that's seven years. Um, and, and I just, I don't know that we did it right, but I, I just it. wonder how, you know, where, where's the theology of that for both sides? 
Well, I'm grateful that our, our association of churches, uh, Andy, that you and I are a part of, you know, we have a credentialing process. We have quote unquote professional standards uh, that we uh, that we look to uh, uh, hold each other accountable to and, and, and challenge people to rise up to. And that uh, when you have that credential, that is some accountability that we have and an entrance that we're given into their lives to say, uh, you know, if they've gone too far, we can withdraw that from you. But within that, we do have a restoration process that can then get that back to them. Um, and so the, so I think the idea that you're, you're, you're with a, a group of, of others that can hold you accountable and that can, that can challenge you to a higher standard, but then also do have a pathway for you to be restored. Um, if you, you know, if you so choose to, to follow that. So I'm thankful that, that we do have that and have seen it work and, and seen it work well. And I'm grateful to see what you've done uh, there at the local level, which is, uh, you know, whether you did it right or not, you did it. And I'm guessing you did more right than wrong. And, uh, and there's no time, you know, the, the, the timing on this is often the challenge. You know, you don't just want to rubber stamp some, some check the box and you're restored. Uh, but it's actually just walking through someone, walking with them uh, back into uh, that full, uh, the full uh, acknowledgement that they're uh, that they've done the work needed to be able to get back. Well, so often the the those situations are messy, are confusing, are um, you know we've we've walked through some pretty difficult situations here at the church, and it's it's. I often feel like I've got a gun in one hand and a knife in the other, and I'm told to make a decision and hmm. and use one. And it's you know I look back six months later and go, man, I wish I would have used the other one. Um, and it's easy, I think, with all of these scandals and all of those situations, to play Monday morning quarterback and be on the outside of things and say, well, they should do X, Y, and Z, and it should go this way, that way, and the other way. And 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 the outside observers create this very clear pathway of this is what has to be. And then when you're behind closed doors in the middle of it, talking with the individuals, living life on life, you go, it's not as cut and dry as it ever would seem. So somewhat switching gears. Um, the other way that these scandals affect churches is the congregant members that are observing these ministries or these ministry leaders. Uh, one of the things that uh, I like to ask people is who's your favorite pastor or preacher and nine times out of ten it's not the one in that they go to every single week it's somebody on facebook youtube that that they get to you know listen to their greatest hits or or go listen to kind of the those big names and then when those big guys fall as we have seen there's this crisis of faith and there's this question of well if they fell and they believed what they but what they taught, and I believe what they taught, does that mean that I'm also going to fall? Or if they deconstructed and left the faith, this even opens it up even broader now. Um, and they said they don't believe what they believe. Should I stop believing what they taught me to believe? Um, and so as pastors, how do you, uh, when that congregant, when, when that you know, random congregant member, whether they're in your church or not, comes to you and says, okay, the guy that I've been following and have been looking up to for so long now has proved that he himself is a sinner or false teacher or what have you, whatever descriptor and questioning whether they should walk away from the faith. How do you approach them and reassure them um, of their faith and of scripture? My mind goes to uh, 
I mean, there are certainly examples of that. And that's what we're talking about this. You know, it, it, it happens regularly on the one hand. But do we do we just as quickly go to, well, you know, uh, Hebrews 11 is filled with uh, with heroes of the faith. Uh, we have Paul who who finished strong and well, the Apostle Paul. But we also have the Apostle Paul writing about others who did walk away. I mean, that's just uh, uh, it's a it's a part of this journey is that there are going to some that are going to remain faithful. And let's celebrate those and not lose lose sight of those. Uh, at the same time, acknowledging that uh, you know, if we're not vigilant, uh, and if we're not, uh, we don't take care of our of our own individual uh, lives. Walk uh, that, yeah. There's no guarantees that we're going to finish strong, but we certainly want to. And there's uh, many examples of those who have. I think for some of those folks, I'd love to get into a conversation with them of why they're internalizing certain things. Because I, I found, at least for some folks, they're not they're not connected to that church or that denomination where those difficulties or those scandals are happening. They may have listened to something, but they're just kind of looking at a trend in the larger culture. And so it almost becomes a, a, a discipleship moment. Like, why are you internalizing something that you're not necessarily connected to? Um, we talked about that. I think there is a fact to grieve where we might see evangelical churches as a wider thing where that's at. Um, but really, I, I guess my question becomes is, is why are you internalizing that and why at the local level, you know, what, what, why, why are you making that more specific or, or pointing that towards a local level? Uh, I had a conversation recently with a, with another church, um, leader who they are at Acts 29 church and, uh, and because of the rise and fall of Mars Hill, there was almost became a. I don't know if I want to characterize it as a witch hunt, but there was some questions about, you know, if that happened over there, what about X, Y, and Z that's happening here? And they, I think they've done a good job from what I can see from the outside, bringing in an external investigator, trying to get to some things that happened, trying to talk to the right people. Um, but I kind of wonder how much of that was just people internalizing what they had heard. and and. So my question to them would be, why, what's going on in you um, and, and try to help them kind of work through some of those issues? And why is that so important? Why are you grieving? Uh, maybe it's something they haven't dealt with in the past that's happened. And, uh, and I'd be curious to talk to them personally. Yeah, I would answer that question by um, really just going back to the, the truth that we see in Scripture is that there is only one perfect person. And he came and he died for us. And yet we, as as fallen creatures, are continually looking to the imperfect people to save us, to validate us, to approve us. And if there's, you know, what does the Old Testament teach us? Is that you, we, we need a better prophet, priest, and king, and that person is, is Christ. And yet we can so easily now, this side of the cross, still place our faith and hope in a person. And... The most dangerous, and and that person is going to be a broken, fallen sinner, like everyone else. And so, yeah, there's there, we are. Every pastor is just as susceptible to the sin that we see in all of these scandals, you know. You know, but by the grace go I, or the mm -hmm. grace of God go I. And I think I've had a moment where I had a a mentor of mine, 
uh, fall, he he disqualified himself, and 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 the Lord had used him in significant ways in my life to um, help me kind of reorient some theology, help me see the the uh, the clarity and the beauty of Scripture in a way that I hadn't seen it. Shape my shape my pastoral ministry. You know, just it was a significant figure in my spiritual walk. And after he fell, I spent the first I don't know year, year and a half. And even now, still going, how much of this is this guy and how much of this is Christian truth? And especially at the very beginning, I, my thoughts were, well, if he believed this theology and he fell, and now I believe this theology, is that going to cause me to fall? And then individuals who believed a different theology are also saying, well, see, this is why you shouldn't believe this theology. This is why you shouldn't have that faith and practice. This is why you shouldn't be a part of that denomination or this denomination or have this style of worship or that style of worship in it. And it really caused me my own spiritual walk to just kind of go through this tailspin, even as a pastor, because I was stepping into the senior pastor role at the time, even as a pastor going like, what, which, what end is up and where do I go? And, and for me, and this is where I point all those individuals back to, you know, is how how have I been susceptible to these things? Just going back to the truth of Scripture and saying, "What does what does Scripture say?" And let's stop looking at the imperfect um, messengers of God, and let's look at the perfect Savior from God. Um, and for that, I just found so much clarity to go, "Okay, well, I could fall just like this individual fell, because I'm a sinner as well. But if I continually look to Christ, I know that He didn't fall." And he said it is finished and I can look to him. Oh, very good. So the last question that I have, if the three of us could control all the churches and set all the policies and all of the structures and we could fix everything, what would the what would the what would our answer be to how to fix where evangelicalism has gone in relation to the scandals? What's the fix to all of these things? To have to have a relational triad, where every pastor would ha- would be engaged in a in a, in a relational triad, where uh, they met with each other or, or coordinated with each other enough to where you could say so- you see something, say something, and to where they were holding each other accountable to being in the Word, uh, being in relationship. How are they doing with their family? How are they doing with the, their with their leadership and so forth and so on? How's their soul doing? So I'd say go back to that root of just uh, how are they walking the walk and and where how are they getting fed and uh spiritually and so forth so i would start there and just do it with the simple uh get a triad of pastors uh relationally connected and uh and then go from there yeah i mean i guess my my first thought runs to the fact that i don't know any system that's going to fix it um i i don't care if you come up with a an ecclesiastical system that's going to be different. You know, uh, the, these things happen in denominations with structures. These things happen in uh, independent churches. Um, so I don't think there's a systematic kind of fix. Um, I do think, like Glenn said, there is there is relational. Um, but even in that, you know, that has to be a healthy relationship where people aren't enabling yeah, each other right. to do the do bad things because I've seen that happen as well where people just dismiss, you know, or, oh, he'll be fine or he's so-and-so or um, that's just the way that he is. And so I think there, even in that relationship, there's something 
there, I think it ultimately comes back to the fact of what you said, Ryan, that we trust, follow, and rest in the fact that we have a Savior um, that will ultimately make things right in the end, who knows the beginning from the end. Um, And I think having pastors understand the fact that, as Scripture says, there is a stricter judgment. Um, That's not to make them afraid, but I think to to help understand and and uh, put into place the idea that that God sees and knows what is happening. I would totally agree with both of those. My first thought was accountability. That was kind of the one word that Glenn that you spoke about, and then um, Andy as well. Just understanding understanding the role. Uh, I think far too many pastors, and this is this is not even on the large scale. I think it's definitely there. It can be definitely there, but even inside regular, ordinary local churches, the pastor is put on a pedestal or on a throne that he was never designed to be on. Um, Christ should should sit on that throne. And then with the lack of accountability of individuals who can truly call him on sin that they see and that he can truly be honest about weaknesses that they have um i think that we it it, that takes a lot of work to cultivate that and um everyone from big name guys as we as as listed at the beginning to no name guys like myself should definitely have that accountability surrounding them yeah well any final thoughts before we close I just think that the scandals that we know become capital S scandals when you see something wrong and you don't say something and we're negligent or irresponsible in calling those people out. And uh, I think that's, that's even the, the greater outrage. They ex- I don't think, you know, people don't expect us to be perfect, but hopefully they see that when we, when we do fail, uh, that uh, there are people in the appropriate places that are to to be the guards that don't guard any longer. And, uh, and I just pray that, uh, that, uh, that myself and, and the rest of us will be courageous enough, wise enough to see it and courageous enough to respond in a way that's appropriate so that the people can consider it, can uh, feel safe within our, within our realm, so to speak and protected. Amen. Well, as always, thank you so much for listening to comparing notes hope these three ordinary pastors from three different generations could help you think through the scandal and the larger evangelicalism. We'll see you guys on, on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Comparing Notes podcast. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so by emailing us at comparingnotes at gmail.com.